Welcome to Reset, episode 10. Today is April 25th, 2021. I'm still Donnie, and my hat is not on in the house because it's the right thing to do. Last time, I did my best to try and convey by my expression on my face and in my voice my excitement to be able to present this episode today. And I said, I can hardly wait until next time to discover in episode 10, what is an apple of gold? And here we are, part one of two parts, apple of gold. In episode eight, we were introduced to the idea of needing to build or edify ourselves. We are building something that has never been done before. It starts with a single brick then another, and so on. Each brick is just as important as any other. We are all equal. One by one, we are building on a strong foundation. Each brick is mortared together. Row by row, we build. The first row must be able to support the weight of not only the bricks upon it, but also all the bricks. We need to be strong. We need to be about 50 million of us bricks. We must exercise our rights and our responsibility. We must be able to respond actually and morally because we are able. Episode 9 explain what a call to reset is. And it is for us, we the people, we the bricks, to reset our republic. We are not literally bricks. We are likened to or compared with bricks and together as a pile of bricks to build something, figuratively speaking. Figuratively speaking means figures of speech. A figure of speech is a legit, legitimate grammatical usage of words that are truer to truth than a literal statement of fact. Figures of speech emphasize and magnify words. They give life to otherwise just plain words. The ancient Greeks cataloged 225 different figures of speech. Of these, 212 are found in the Bible, sometimes as many as 40 varieties under one figure. Those working on their doctorate degrees in English might know 40 of these. The rest of us may be one or two or a few. Figures of speech are mathematically accurate, scientifically precise. There's no guesswork. There's no opinions. It's all based upon rules. Like law, laws are made for the law-abiding, not for the law-breakers or the lawless. Follow the law and there is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Break the law and there are supposed to be consequences, and there will be one way or another sooner or later. If you have ever studied the Bible, have you ever asked what is most important or what is most important to God? People have tried to answer this, by producing red-letter editions of the Bible. These are editions which are actually printed in red, which are words that are supposedly said by Jesus Christ. Well, those are opinions. There are many writers of the Bible, but according to the Bible, only one author and the author is God. The following is what the Bible and its author, God, says about his word. Quote, For thou, God, hast or have magnified thy, your, word above all thy name. 
How did God magnify his word above all his name, which represents all his works, past, present, and future? He emphasized and magnified and marked his word with those 212 figures of speech. If you do not believe in God, or you do not believe God, understanding figures of speech solves the problem of what is literal or figurative, and what is truth or apparent contradictions. That God is spirit, according to the Bible, is literal. That spirit has no form of com- or comeliness is also literal. When such things as the arm of the Lord are seen in the Bible, they are figurative and not literal. That God said, thou shalt not kill, is literal. And that he does not kill or that he does not lie is also literal. But when in contrast to what he literally says or does, and the Bible attributes human characteristics to God, those are figures of speech. That God marked in his word for what he wanted emphasized and magnified as important. Okay, so maybe you don't believe in God or believe God, but there are still 212 figures of speech cataloged by the Greeks, and there are still 212 of them used in the Bible. Can we just agree that reading the Bible to understand figures of speech, you just might be beneficial, or it might be beneficial to us personally? We should, because they are. Would you rather see a list, or would you rather read or hear about how these figures of speech were used. Would you or I rather know how apples of gold are used to understand its meaning? You could consider part one as an introduction to apple of gold as if we are now engaged in mining for gold. Yep, we're miners. Mining for gold, a gold apple or an apple of gold or gold apples. They don't really exist or do they? We must dig out the ore and melt it and mold it and shape it into a gold apple or an apple of gold. Or do we? We might want to take out our dusty covered Bibles and read along or just get access to or go buy a Bible. If you want to stop this right now, I'll wait. Okay. The Bible will again come in future episodes. I'm not trying to preach to anyone. This is not a sermon, but I do not apologize to anyone for citing or referencing the Bible. Not only did our founders and many people throughout the history of our republic reference the Bible, so did two other people of different viewpoints we are likely to know once their names are revealed. As we will see in future episodes, whether these two men believed in God or believed God or not, they each were a student of the Bible. They studied it. And we will see this in particular in the year 1860, before our present government de facto became our current government, which has suspended or made inactive government de jure or the pure law. I do not apologize for using scripture from the start of, through, and to whatever end call of reset or call to reset concludes and resolves. In order, there are three things that I have studied in great length throughout my life. By the very nature of them all, they each begin with questions, and I had many. One could also say that I was thirsty and hungry to learn. I was nearly dehydrated and I had a large appetite. 
The three things I have had the greatest number of questions about and have had a huge thirst and an appetite and a hunger to know are these. The Bible, investigative journalism, and our republic. Here's a quote you may or may not be familiar with, but it illustrates my personal belief that innately or from our mother's womb, we are all designed to seek, to find, to knock, and to ask, and to be filled. Quote, question with boldness, even the existence of God, because if there be one, he must more approve of the homage of reason than that of blindfolded fear. Thomas Jefferson. One does not become reasonable or a person of reason without questions and then studying to find the answers and then applying them to see if they are validated. Not that I can no more learn and grow, but for me, most of my questions have been answered to my satisfaction. Not yours necessarily, but mine. I can give anyone an answer for what I believe, why I believe it, and the sources from which I believe. That's not to boast, those are just the facts. I have not and I do not make participation in these podcasts of reset of our republic conditional based upon anyone being a Christian or not. And I have not and do not tell anyone that our right and responsibility to reset our republic is based upon doing the Christian thing. All I have ever said or written and continue to write and say is what others have said. Doing the right thing is doing the moral thing, and our government is not for any others that are not and will not do the right thing. We here are engaged in building ourselves and each other up to edify and strengthen ourselves so that we each and all together can reset our republic. If you or I are not moral people or desire to be, then we are in the wrong place. If we don't know how to reset our republic or have no interest in learning how, then we're certainly in the wrong place. But for me, I was and I thirst and I am hungry to reset our republic. The answers I have found have filled me according to my appetite and my thirst quenched. So it should be for you too. Quote, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Matthew chapter 5 verse 6. From the Greek there are many words translated in English as some form of the word filled. In Matthew 5, 6, the word filled is a Greek word which only appears here and thus only once in the entire Bible, and that's pretty significant. It is the Greek word according to Strong's Concordance of the Bible, Kortasthesantai. My pronunciation may not be correct, but my knowledge of its meaning is certainly correct. Its meaning is filled according to one's appetite. It was, like I said, to me, a matter of being so thirsty and so hungry because I was so empty. Maybe my knowledge and skills, having studied the Bible for so many years and having had my questions answered to my satisfaction, 
having had on-the-job training as an investigative reporter, having the questions about did I change or did our republic change, and if it did, when, and then I searched for and found the answers, then maybe these each and all together made me fit for the task to participate in the reset of our republic. Questions which lead to answers come only by study. Having the knowledge is not enough. We can know how to reset the mortar or of our bricks and have all the right tools and materials, but we still need to do it. We still need to reset our republic. Perhaps my speaking and writing abilities are not up to the task, but I am confident of the sources I have found, and they are all publicly available to anyone to research for themselves. And those sources all show and prove we do have the right and the responsibility to reset our republic. So we have mined our gold ore. It has been heated, melted, and its impurities removed. It is pure gold and ready to be molded into a gold apple, an apple of gold. We each are an apple of gold, and together we are apples of gold. Now what? Open a Bible, King James Version, and take a look at Proverbs. Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, but God is the author. Proverbs means wise sayings, and each is a short, pithy verse which illustrates spiritual truths, or if you'd rather use the word principles. Note the King James Version of the Bible is used in call to reset for two reasons. Number one, so we're each on the same page, so to speak. Number two, King James was involved in our history back when there was a colony in Virginia. The first settlement of 13 colonies was Jamestown in 1607. It was named after King James, the very same King James that authorized the King James Bible in 1611. Let's look up Proverbs chapter 25 and in verse 11. Quote, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Proverbs 25 verse 11, King James Version. What sticks out in this verse? There is a comparison. Words, a word fitly spoken, is being compared to apples of gold in pictures of silver. Notice the word like. By this word like, we know from previous episodes, it is the figure of speech simile, similar to. Whatever this word fitly spoken is, it uses the word like, which makes it a figure of speech called a simile. It does not say it is, which would make it a metaphor, but it is like, and that makes it a simile. The words are emphasized and magnified. Whatever apples of gold are, it is like a word fitly spoken, and vice versa. The phrase apples of gold and pictures of silver is another figure of speech. It is from the Greek word idoma and it is translated in English as idiom. These words, this idiom, is not predictable, nor does it follow the order of the rules of grammar, but are understood in the language, dialect, or style of speaking peculiar to a people. To understand the figure of the simile in comparing a word fitly spoken, we must discover what these apples of gold and pictures of silver are. Makes sense to me. 
There was a man, E.W. Bullinger, Ethelberg William Bullinger, December 15, 1837, to June 6, 1913. He was a very smart man, an accomplished musician, and it is said he carried out three games of chess with three other people at the same time. He was a biblical scholar and he wrote many books. One in particular is Figures of Speech Used in the Bible. It is currently available and I highly recommend it to anyone. There is what it, mine looks like. Big thick book. Well, remember the ancient Greeks cataloged 225 figures of speech? 212 of those are used in the Bible, with sometimes 40 varieties under one figure. Bullinger cites examples of all 212 of these figures of speech used in the Bible, but he never had the time to work this subject completely. To illustrate the importance of figures of speech, let's go back in time to Greek and Roman orators. People would marvel at these people standing on the street corner, you know, and they were able to just seemed like, you know, snap their finger and they could just go on and on and on with these long, articulate, beautiful, flowery speeches. And they just thought, wow, these people are, they just, they're just amazing. Well, they had a little secret. These speeches were actually prepared in, in advance and starting at what we know today and still use the first place or the first point that I want to make such things as just is this used in all forms of communication? The first place in the Greek was called the Loki, and it was the vestibule of their own home. So what they would do is they would walk to their own home in their mind, walk through their house. They would hang parts of their speeches and inanimate objects throughout their house. So when they opened their eyes, it looked like they were looking right at the people, and yet they were just walking through their own home that they had been into time after time and they knew it like the back of their hand and they just picked up these inanimate objects called their speech and were able to just quote them verbatim those were memory tricks oh if i only knew that in studying for an exam if i only knew that greek and roman secret of the orators and also you know, the first time I was actually asked to, to make a speech, oh, I memorized that sucker. Whew, backwards, forwards, every other way. But when I got up there and I looked out on the audience, I couldn't remember a single word. All I needed to do is just walk through my head and pick out my speech, and it looks like I'm looking right at you. Well... While it seemed like they were mentally gifted and looking at their audience, they were walking through their own comfortable, familiar homes in their minds. They just grabbed all that unfamiliar stuff along with the familiar stuff, their home, and placed it into their memories until they could be recalled at any moment. So this brings us to the idiom itself. Although Christians or Christianity may be considered a Western practice, Writers who lived in the East and clearly understood this idiom wrote in the East. For many years, the word Occident and Orient were known and perfectly acceptable. The Occident was any place in the world west of the Mediterranean Sea. 
The Orient was any place east of the Mediterranean Sea. Pretty simple to me. Replacing the word Orient or Oriental with the word Asia or Asian, as it's so often done today, does nothing but confuse the fact that at the time of writing Proverbs, Israel and the Jewish nation was considered to be part of the Orient. Technically, it still is. A man by the name of Bishop K.C. Pillai, Doctor of Divinity, 1900 to 1970, most likely coined the word Orientalisms. Orientalisms are customs and mannerisms of the people which lived in the East, and many are still in use today in areas such as Armenia, India, and others. The Bible is filled with passages that most Westerners do not understand, but Easterners do, often from birth. If, and I should write when, when we become knowledgeable of the Oriental idioms, customs, mannerisms, and traditions of the biblical setting, these scriptures become crystal, crystal clear. Solomon the writer, not the author of Proverbs, wise sayings, collected these from his own upbringing and even from other people from other countries. They were and still are in usage by people in places in the world today. At the time of the bishop's early life, his native India had remained isolated for thousands of years. The customs and manners of the people were still aligned with the Eastern biblical culture. For many and for over 20 years, Bishop Pillai taught these Orientalisms, bringing great enlightenment to the Western world. As an author of several books, and one in particular, Light Through an Eastern Window, it is significant for this episode because it is Light Through an Eastern Window. His mission of imparting this light carried him to numerous universities and seminaries, as well as every major denomination throughout the United States, England, and Canada. His teachings remain among the foremost authorities on biblical customs and culture. This will become very important later, but I do want to mention that Bishop K.C. Pillai was raised as a Hindu. When a Hindu child or of the ruling class is born, a little salt is rubbed on the baby who is then wrapped in a swaddling cloth. This custom invoked one of the oldest and strongest covenants in the Eastern world, the salt covenant. In this particular instance, the child was salted for a lifetime of dedication to the Hindu religion. The same custom was used at the anointing of a king. When the baby's cloth was lightly salted, then the babe was swaddled and its, its torso wound loosely with the cloth, and this was significant that the child would be raised to be morally straight and spiritually upright. The salt is indicative that they would say what they mean and mean what they say. Their words had integrity. This used to mean something in journalism back when the word journalism meant something, at least to me. As a result of the Salt Covenant, it is difficult for Hindus to convert to Christianity. When they do, their family actually conducts a funeral service to symbolize that the individual is dead to their family. The community in Hinduism, 
their family will carry a portrait of the deceased to the cemetery and bury it. Many times Bishop spoke of this his burial day when he was disinherited by becoming a Christian, the only Hindu willing to break that covenant of salt in his community during that time. The salt covenant was and is a big deal to Easterners. So great, in fact, if you ever happen to eat a meal that is salted with a thief, they would never steal from you. Yes, I suppose this could be where the phrase honor among thieves may have been influenced by. I know what this has to do with apples of gold. What? Hang on, we're getting to it. Now we might begin to understand how great a word fitly spoken is or was like apples of gold in pictures of silver to K.C. Pillai. So great to him was God's word that he endured the shame, broke the covenant assault of his religion, and was considered to be dead to his family and friends. In the Roman Catholic Church, this is called being excommunicated. Today, it may not be much of a big deal because if I got kicked out of one church, another one down the street would probably be glad to have me, especially if I put money in their plate or the basket when it was passed. But this was not so for people of Israel or the Easterners. One was excommunicated, and it was you. You could not buy or sell. If it was Donnie and he walked down one side of the street, people would walk on the other side of the street, look down, shun me, not talk to me. Wow, whatever the apples of gold are, whatever a word fitly spoken is, must have been worth it to K.C. Pillai to convert to Christianity. It was. They are. Wow, that's a great example of building ourselves up morally and honestly in this call to reset to reset our republic because that's what we need to do the words written in the king james version a word fitly spoken sure seems figurative how do words or does a word fit how do we fit a word or words the word word could be used for many words plural as it comparing it or them to apples plural but what is a word fit that sounds like something that's a perfect fit of clothing we put on it is the right word or the right words for the right person and the right time they are spoken so in the ears of the hearer it is the right word or the right words at the right time for them to hear it is i hope like this call to reset i hope it is the right words for you for the right moment in time that you hear them. These words fitly spoken are seasoned with salt. They have integrity. Why do I say this? We will see this verse involves food, and food is salted to season in the east for taste, to purify, and symbolically, it is also makes one thirst for more. And there is one more thing I would like us to understand about salt. Along with the symbolism of saying what you mean and meaning what you say and it being used for food and purifying, it is also part of hospitality, especially among Easterners. If you were ever invited to a tea or a meal, consider it an honor because you are being honored. Quote, be not 
forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, King James Version. In the Bible and other culture, hospitality is a big deal. A great deal of effort and much quantity and quality goes into preparation and presentation of food for the entertainment, enjoyment, blessing, which means to be highly favored or to think favorably of, and comfort of those being served. And yes, if this were you and I and we the people, we would be served gladly. Why? Because we're that important. Some reasons for this custom could be for the promised Messiah. Christians believe he has already come and Jewish people are still waiting for his first coming. Some prophet or other person of importance might be under their roof with their having the privilege of serving. And many people did and do believe in angels, spirit beings taking on the form of human being of human yeah human beings the word unaware means without knowing not knowing who you are the easterner treats you as if you are the promised messiah a prophet some person of importance you are or even an angel in their minds you could be so they treated you and served you as if you were Years ago, I met two men from Iran. They were childhood friends, and they were going to the university, and they had their wives with them. And they were really very, very friendly. And we had conversations often. They were very curious about Western culture, Christianity, and they were just very kind and polite people. When we would see each other, we would often have conversations. One day, they invited me to their home for a tea, let's call it that. I accepted not having any idea what to expect. When I arrived and rang the doorbell, the doorbell was almost instantly opened, and there my two friends were, as if they had been standing at the window waiting for me to show up, and then timed it perfectly so they would be right there when I rang the doorbell. Well, they invited me in, and um, they asked me to remove my shoes, and they seated me, and then they asked me if I would like to have my feet washed. Well, I felt a little uneasy about that, so I declined, but looking back now, I wish I had not. Then I was brought into their living room. There was a lot of uh, large medium small pillows in a lower area there was a small table in the middle actually it was a large table but it was just um, not very high off the ground so there was incense burning and there was light instrumental music playing in the background and uh, I could smell all these wonderful things in the air and uh, next the wives came out and they came out after leaving me there for a little bit just to relax and uh, they brought in all this food on all these trays and set it on this little table before me. There were savory and sweet treats, figs and dates and all kinds of stuff. I, I, you know, teas and coffees, so many different things because they did not know what I'd liked. But the point of all of this was to have more than I could possibly need and to make sure 
that there was anything that they had the ability to provide for me was made available. And I just remember there was this one thing cut into little small bites and it was sweet and white and it was naturally sweet, came from some plant from Iran. Well, it was an incredible experience, nothing like I'd ever experienced. And shortly after that, well, I'd say shortly, I'd say several years, another friend of mine and I, we decided to have a special surprise uh, gathering. It was on Mother's Day. My mother was invited, of course, and we were going to do this at her home. And we, we hand-painted, we hand-printed and hand-painted uh, these invitations with the butterflies on it and a little pastel watercolor butterflies that had been inked. And um, it was come, the, the invitation said, come and be renewed. So we invited about eight, uh, total of eight people. And I went to this local dairy and they let me borrow a bunch of uh, milk crates, metal milk crates. Each one would hold, I don't know, about a gallon of milk. So there was four gallons per crate. So I brought a bunch of those home, set them up on the floor of my mom's home, put some plywood on top of that, and then we spread it over with uh, a nice tablecloth. And uh, the invitations to everybody said, bring your own pillow. So we had low lights, instrumental, play, instrumental music playing in the background, and then one by one they all showed up. And um, another friend of ours, she was a ballet dancer, she's just a beautiful lady, and uh, she wanted to participate. Uh, she was one of the guests that we invited, but she wanted to participate. So one by one, each person was seated, their shoes removed if they wanted it, and uh, their feet were washed, their hands were washed, their foreheads were washed, then they were given ointments to, on their hands and their feet and on their forehead and it was massaged in and you could just literally see the, the stress just melt away and the, 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 their faces beaming and smiling. They were just so relaxed. And then my friend and I, we served all the food. We never sat at the table and uh, everybody had a wonderful time and, and it was a memorable experience. The people, I think, particularly me, that got the most out of it was the servants. I'm sure, despite the fact that I enjoyed myself with my friends, my Iranian friends, I mean, it's like, you know, they made me a Muslim. They were Muslim, and I was a Christian. They made me one of theirs. They treated me with such respect. And that's the way we tried to do it. And, you know, we had many different cultures going there. It was Polynesian, Eastern. Uh, we served Greek wine and a whole bunch of other different things, but we were just trying to um, make a memorable evening for my mother and, and, and our guests. Well, both of these experiences, the one with my Iranian friends and the one I just shared with you, were wonderful for all and probably the greatest benefit, like I said, befell the servants. I know this was true for me. But these experiences should be noted and sealed in our memories 
as they are in mine. The importance of the salt covenant, eastern hospitality, the love of serving one another, and that the word fitly spoken was like a call to reset. You and I, we the people. This is because we are about to be served with apples of gold, by apples of gold, to each one of us that are an apple of gold. I have spent behind the scenes hours and hours on this subject. To this point, I have written or edited it at least 10 times. I have concluded that there is so much information, someone can write an entire book or teach a class on just Proverbs 25:11 alone. Another book or class could be just about the four or five figures of speech used in this verse. And then another book uh, or class could be taught on, on uh, apples. And then another one after that could be taught on the history of apples in the United States. And we will get there eventually. Uh, nothing like could be talked about, but we're, it's, it's going to come up. I will do none of these things. I've got more than enough to do with these podcasts and, and finishing a book that I started uh, in 2013. Yeah, I know I'm slow, but I'm thorough. But we all really need to understand this idiom of the apples of gold to put this all together. We are the apples of gold. Here are some hints. Salt is used symbolically, and it is also used with food in the East. A word or word fitly spoken are to be heard and are like having been salted and purified, and salt makes us thirsty for more. We come. Come for what? Number two, the apples of gold are real. They are fruit. We are drawn in to eat. The pictures of silver are real. They are trays or baskets of silver used to hold the apples of gold. Silver purifies. These silver trays magnify and emphasize the apples of gold. Together we are apples of gold. It is because we each are an apple of gold. A letter from someone to someone else in 1860 used this exact same verse of scripture. Call it a gold letter in a silver envelope and trust me, You'll hear that again because that's what I'm naming an upcoming episode. Number five, this letter and the response to it is what has inspired the cover art and the sequel to my first book, Reset, An Alien's Guide to Resetting Our Republic, and the title of the book that I am now writing, Apple of Gold and a Picture of Silver. And all together, these apples are like words fitly spoken. They are at the right time, the right moment for the right people. You and I and we the people. And I'm saying it this one more time. I can hardly wait until next time to continue in episode 11, the idiom of Proverbs 25:11, and what you are, an apple of gold, part two. Until we meet again, have a wonderful day.